Welcome to Bachelor Theory. My name is Julia Deloise, and we have a good old-fashioned season premiere on our hands. Y'all, I'm so glad that you are with me, that you're giving me a shot here. In the words of every lead ever, I'm so humbled that you're ready to be on this journey with me. This season premiere had a little bit of everything. We got a villain, we've got a first impression rose, we've got dresses... All of that is ready to be dished on, but given that this is Bachelor Theory, I wanted to start off by telling y'all a little bit about sort of the schools of thought that I come from when I watch the show. Now, I want to cop to something that, in some people's eyes, this may make me a bad Bachelor fan, but I feel like this is a safe space with y'all. I'm happy you're listening. I feel like I want to tell you up front. Now, I'm not super invested in going deep behind the scenes of The Bachelor. And there's sort of a reason for that. I love reality television. I fucking love it. I think it's an art form. I'm so interested in all the tropes, the conventions. I'm interested in the it, just the way that they produce the shows. And so I really like to put a lot of trust in these producers and I like to watch the story that they want to tell me. So, you know, there are a ton of people, like Bachelor Nation puts out all of this material for people who want to go deep, deep BTS. We get the cast beforehand. You know, other podcasts, you might hear people talking about like, oh, well, we know because she was wearing the same dress. And that means I think what happened is they filmed it later that day. So everyone was waiting around, you know, all that stuff. I respect it, I, I am into it for other people, but it's just not me. I really like to go on the journey that producers want to take me on. So while you may hear me, you know, it may come up a little bit, you're probably not going to hear a ton of deep, deep behind the scenes stuff from me, because that's the way I like to go. I would trust these producers with my life, and I love the stories that they tell. So I did go into this a little bit blind. I scanned the cast list. I took a peek at the bios kind of right before the show. But I have not spent like weeks analyzing these women. Um, I did actually end up making a bachelor bracket for the very first time. Um, and I'm half in. I'm tentatively in, you guys. I've never done it before. I decided to give it a shot about 45 minutes before the premiere. Um, we'll see how it goes. I came out okay after the first rose ceremony, so I'm still strapped in, still giving a chance. All that to say, I'm not a BTS girl. Now, the other way that I am coming at the show is from a feminist perspective, which is not unique to me. There are tons of members of Bachelor Nation who are also thinking about it in those terms. Um, and, you know, The Bachelor historically really has a problem with subtle and not so subtle trappings of racism and sexism and fat phobia, a bunch of other garbage. The whole franchise is way too thin, way too white, way too able-bodied, uh, you know, way too upper middle class, you name it. They've really fumbled when it has come to a lot of that stuff. And for better or for worse, that is kind of like just part of the furniture in The Bachelor. So even though I'm thinking about that constantly while I'm watching it, it might not come up, you know, constantly in the podcast. You can probably find problematic shit in almost every frame, you know? Um, but unless it's something that we are, like, bumping up against in a really obvious way, then, you know, we would definitely talk about it. But I'm not going to be mentioning every single thing. It's kind of like 
we, you know, it just comes with the territory a little bit when you watch The Bachelor. So I hope that y'all don't think that I don't have those things in mind or that I accept, you know, a lot of the BS that Bachelor, that The Bachelor franchise tries to feed us. Um, I'm with you and I'm thinking about these things and I'm always down to talk about them for sure um, if you want to get in touch. Okay. So now that you know a little bit about sort of the paradigms that I am coming to The Bachelor in, it's time to get with it. It's the season premiere. It was a pretty classic season premiere. So let's get into it. First off, I want to say I think the vibes are perfect. I think the vibes are so much better than last season. No offense to uh, the La Quinta Resort, um, but this hotel, which is for sure haunted, uh, the vibe is just right. I'm feeling it. It's more reminiscent of the Bachelor Mansion, so it kind of feels like a little bit of a homecoming. Um, you know, they did mention the name of the hotel on the show a few times, but I kind of forget how you pronounce it, so you might hear me say it um, a few episodes in when I uh, have a better grasp on how to say that word. So for starters, we get a nice opening package of Matt James. Now we are coming to him with fresh eyes because he's never been on a season of The Bachelor before. Uh, so it is kind of nice to be meeting him, you know, kind of in real time and getting to know who he is. Um, I did, y'all, this is, uh, I don't like the behind the scenes stuff. And this is why I, I dove in about an hour before the show and what was the first thing I found out about him? Matt James is a Republican? Are you guys fucking kidding me? I didn't know this before tonight. I'm devastated, y'all. It's, it's a thing to grapple with. He's so hot. How did this happen? You know? I, it's like, can we, have, can we have one nice thing? We, we sat through Ari. We sat through Colton and Peter. We wanted one nice thing. But... Women can't have one nice thing. Eve ate the apple, and now otherwise perfect guys have to sometimes be Republicans. So that blows. Um, and I, I'm very curious about it, and I, I almost wish that I didn't know it, so I didn't have to watch with that in mind. But that's just the reality of the situation. So we get his opening package, and we know that besides being a Republican, he is good at wearing vests. He can look in another direction while he walks in a straight direction. Um, and he's really close with his mom, and he does a lot of work with kids, which are both kind of signifiers that uh, that the Bachelor franchise kind of uses to like tell us um, in shorthand that someone is like a good person. And it happens, you know, with men and women, I think, but particularly with men, you get the like they're close with their mom or they are raised by sisters, and that's supposed to like just cut out a lot of the, you know, the middle stuff and skip right to like, okay, we know this dude is a good guy. And that doesn't mean that he's not a good guy. I'm just sort of commenting on the way that the Bachelor franchise uses that kind of shorthand. Now we did get to meet his mom, um, who looked like she has been ready for this show to be filmed for weeks. Uh, the hot pants on her were, uh, bonkers. I, I loved it. Um, and I would have loved it more if I hadn't found out that she was a MAGA lady. But so she and Matt start to have this nice heartfelt conversation where 
she's asking him, you know, what he's excited for, what he's nervous about. And this is the first time that we get a little bit of insight into, I mean, The Bachelor really, the show lets us in and lets us hear Matt talk about what it was like uh, to grow up mixed race. Now, as I previously mentioned, the show often stumbles when it comes to things like this. We know that you know, him being the first black bachelor is so long overdue. It's kind of embarrassing. Um, And they also, you know, in addition to just stumbling over it, they also have a history of like kind of dipping a toe in when they need to be diving in, just really shying away from like the bulk of the work. Um, That said, it is kind of interesting to watch this show navigate those things in real time and we started to see that last season with Tasha and Ivan I thought it was absolutely fascinating to see them talk about Black Lives Matter to hear them talk about the way that that made them feel and how that really factored into their lives and that that was a fundamental way that they could understand each other um so I'm getting I'm I'm kind of hopeful that we'll have more conversations like that um, with Matt as The Bachelor. And I think he, I mean, I think it was a promising premiere in that regard. We do see a couple a couple more conversations to that end later on. Um, but so his mom is asking him <laughs> the classic Bachelor question, what do you fear the most? Which is so funny because it's like, what do you fucking think I fear the most? It's the only thing to fear on this show. It's like every answer is that I get to the end of this thing and I haven't found the person or I get my heart broken. He says, yeah, he says uh, that my heart gets broken, you know? And it's like, yeah, that's kind of the thing to fear in this situation. That's the only answer to that question. But I admire our dedication to asking it every single season. So then we get a couple um, nice opening packages from some of the women. I really was into Alicia, the ballerina. Um, Who else did I like? Oh, there was Anna, whose personality seemed to be coffee, like her whole thing. Um, And I, I really was drawn to Sarah, who was a broadcast journalist. We find out that she quit her job to move home to help take care of her father who has ALS, which is so fucking devastating. And I was like tearing up even watching that little package. So they did it to me. I'm strapped in for Sarah already rooting for her. Um, But yeah, it's a nice sampling. It looks like these women, I mean, it seems like they really have uh, admirable careers, which sometimes is not, you know, you get the batches that are more, influencer types and we've got a lawyer we've got a pharmacist we've got a ballerina um oh we meet abigail god who is just a doll and she has a hearing impairment so again like watching bachelor dip their toes into this i'm along for the ride and i'm really appreciative that they that they're going in that direction so with the opening packages out of the way we are suddenly in real time it's time for Matt to get dressed, he's going to the hotel, and you can tell he is just nervous as hell, which is very charming. Um, Of course, he he gets out at the hotel, and who is waiting for him but Chris Harrison? Another school of thought that I happen to come from while we're here is that I would 100% fuck Chris Harrison, and it's less to do with his 
looks and more just, you know what? I, I, I don't know. I don't feel like I have to defend that to you guys. If it was in front of me, I would do it. And that's just something you're going to have to deal with on this podcast. It might come up. So Chris Harrison says to Matt, he says, wow, you're so tall. And Matt says this thing I love. He says, no, I get that. <laughs> Which I, I, he gets that he's tall, I guess. Um, he probably gets that a lot. Uh, and I think that this sort of weird word fumble was a sign of how nervous he was for the night to begin. Now, since he's a brand new bachelor and has no idea how it all goes down, he really is sweating in this situation, and you can tell. And he throws Chris Harrison this curveball, um, or we're supposed to believe it's a curveball, where he says, Chris, can I ask you a couple things? He explains that he's nervous because he's never done it before, and he'd like to go inside and ask Chris a couple more things. So we go inside. The shot is set up perfectly, might I add. Um, and the lead-in question is, what should I expect? Which I have to laugh at. Um, it's just sort of a lazy question to script because are we supposed to believe that Chris Harrison, like in all the preparation that everyone has done for Matt for being The Bachelor, in all these you know weeks and months where he's been preparing to be the lead on this show, we think that like, Chris Harrison is maybe like holding back on some like key part of the process. I don't buy it, but I loved this as as a kind of lead-in question. Um, now the real question, of course, that he wants to ask, which is not phrased like a question at all, it's a little bit more abstract, um, which is absolutely fine because the content is is sort of meaningful and substantial. Now, he wants to tell Chris about sort of the pressures that he's feeling of being a mixed-race man, of being the first black bachelor. Since his mom is white and his dad was black, he feels a lot of pressure that he is going to sort of be this monolithic lead that if he fucks up, it means that black leads fuck up or will not be represented or whatever. He doesn't want black people to be mad at him. He doesn't want white people to be mad at him. And that is a lot of pressure. And I really appreciated um, hearing that from him. It felt very genuine. Um, and it, yeah, it added some dimension to the way that he's going to be navigating this process. Now, of course, Chris Harrison gives him some milk toast responses. It's about you as long as you feel peace and happiness and joy at the end of this thing. That's all that matters. Um, you know, so Chris gave the smarmy response, which is what he is paid to do. So we had that conversation. All in all, I, I liked this beat. I appreciated hearing it. Um, and I hope we get more of that. Now it's time to go back outside where the limo has, I don't know, just been circling maybe, waiting for this like half hour little interlude to be over. We hear the women screaming um, from inside the, the limo. A lot of screaming, a lot of squealing. Um, you gotta love it. Just once, just once. I would love for the women to decide that the party is in the limo and they're not getting out and they just stay in there and... Uh, I, I don't know, kiss, um, whatever. Now, with that, 
we are ready to start the limo entrances. So the women start getting out. We start with Brie, and she's in a gorgeous green gown. She has a really strong start. And I'm not going to go down this list, you know, all 32 of them, uh, but I, I will give you my overall impressions. And that was that I, I thought it was a good group. The gowns, I thought the average was really high for the gowns. A lot of beautiful gowns. There were really only a couple, you know, I'm always watching with the eye of like, would I wear that or would I not wear that? And I would wear most of those gowns. So rather than go through everybody um, and dissect them one at a time, I'm just going to give you kind of the spark notes. I'm going to tell you who I think won the limo entrances and who I think lost. As far as a winner, for me, I think it's got to be Kayla. Now, she was the one who drove up in the pickup truck, um, which I thought was a fun and offbeat move without sort of being too, like, over-the-top or hacky or contrived. It was also smart because she kind of got that extra beat where she got to lead Matt over to the truck. They were kind of circling it, looking at it together. She got to stunt by saying she drives a stick shift. I think that that was a great way for her to spend, you know, a couple extra moments with him and really stick in his memory. Uh, And I, yeah, I loved that move. I thought the pickup truck was the winner. As far as a loser, this move is going to lose with me every time. I thought Alana was the loser. Now, Alana was the one who brought the plate of spaghetti And, uh, you know, encourages him to do the sort of Lady in the Tramp spaghetti kiss with her. I really hate this move. It happens, um, something like this usually happens in the first episode. Uh, Definitely, you know, uh, when it happens further down the line, it's kind of not so much of a problem because they already have a connection. But what I really dislike about this is sort of the, like, forced intimate like romantic slash sexual contact uh, contact that the lead like really has no choice um in in like opting into I think we see this I mean it's more often women doing it to men the idea being I think like you know men really like a bold woman or a you know sexually uninhibited woman and so these women kind of think that they're really showing him something uh, about themselves and they're really being sexy and, and fun by doing that. But, uh, and, and the implication is also like that a man, you know, that a man always wants sexual contact. And so you don't have to ask him or make sure that he's into it. You can just assume that he will be. And that's fucked up. We see it a lot in the first, you know, episodes. It'll be like something like, I don't know, like weird, like watered down sort of dominatrix stuff. Or like, I think last season or two ago, there was like a blindfold or something. And then she kisses him and it's not consensual. Um, You know, the lead is under a lot of pressure to, to acquiesce to that. And I don't think that that's how you want to start off a connection. Men, women, all genders, it really doesn't matter which way it's going. Um, I find it kind of gross and weird. Uh, And yeah, so Alana was the loser for me for that reason. Now, the wackadoodle wild card of the limo entrances, of course, goes to Katie, who 
gives Matt sort of a preamble about giving him a gift that helped her to get through the pandemic. And of course, she takes out a vibrator and hands it to him. And Matt has, you know, a big hearty laugh. Uh, The vibrator sort of becomes the centerpiece of the evening. And we sort of get that saying where it's like a vibrator is like the most insane thing that a that a person has ever seen and it's really fucking wild and outrageous. Now, this was something that I did kind of find to uh, be truthful and that's this phenomenon where if you are um, a six, and I'm not saying Katie's a six, I'm saying I'm a six. If you're a six who's ever like been in a, a, a group of nines and tens, for whatever reason, usually it's like some bridesmaid situation or some like friends of a friend situation where you're just kind of out of your league. Um, if you say kind of one thing about like a dildo or a blowjob, um, hot girls kind of go crazy for that and like think that you're super outrageous and and fucking wild and that's the most nutso thing they've ever heard so the girls like all kind of freaking out about this collectively uh really really spoke to me and it really was like have have y'all seen it have y'all seen it vibrator before I don't know it also was like not a nice vibrator at all um (laughs) which you can tell from sort of the base of it, just the, like, inch or two that we see outside of the black censored square. It's, like, purple, and she says it's sparkly. We can see that it lights up a little bit. It reminds me of the first vibrator that I got uh, when I didn't have access to very much else, and I got it at Spencer's Gifts, um, and that's kind of what it looks like because, you know, you know, a, a production assistant just had to, like, run out and get that on the fly, even though we're sort of meant to believe that this is hers, that she's brought from home. There are several jokes made later on about if it's used or if it's clean. Um, Y'all, we fucking see through you. We know. We know. Um, It's probably from Spencer's. Is Spencer's Gifts still operating? If you know of a Spencer's Gifts uh, that is still open, please let me know. I hope the pandemic didn't shut down the culturally iconic Spencer's gifts. Okay, fast forward to the end of the limo entrances. Of course, we're at the end. We've got Victoria entering last. She's getting the villain edit if we've ever seen it. Just a really classic villain edit. She comes in as the queen, um, and we know that that's going to be her shtick all night, if not all season. I'm going to come back to Victoria uh, in, in a couple minutes. I'm not quite ready to unleash my Victoria thoughts, so sit tight for that. Now that we've met all the women, it's time for kind of one of my favorite conventions of the show, which is once all the entrances have been made and everybody's inside, we go in the mansion and we meet everybody basically having like a pissing contest to see who is the horniest for the lead. And they are all super fucking horny for Matt James. They are attracted to his eyes. They feel comfortable when he's around. It's endearing that he's nervous. Everybody kind of like trying to 
one up each other uh, about how horny they are for this man, which you got to imagine is sort of awkward. You're sitting around talking about how hot this guy is with all the other women who are now sort of dating him. Um, so I really like to watch the way that women uh, navigate, and men too, you know, on The Bachelorette. It really is interesting to watch people try to navigate that weird dynamic where they want camera time, they want to say, you know, what they find sexy about him, and they're also saying it to a bunch of other women who are also fucking horny for him. So from here, we've got the cocktail party going, and we get a couple, you know, really genuine conversations. First, he's talking to Rachel, and uh, she makes this reveal that I love when contestants say. She kind of, uh, she says, like, I was unsure about this whole process when I, you know, when they, when they reached out to me. I really wasn't sure what I was going to do, but then I found out that it was you, and I, you know, then she was on board. It's, there's kind of like this cachet on The Bachelor for like being unsure or being wary of the process as if like not buying into the premise of the show and the process. It, it, it sort of feels like it's, it kind of feels like it's shorthand for the same idea as like, I'm not like other girls, though it does happen in both directions on on both shows, Bachelor and Bachelorette. But being unsure, saying like, you know, I wasn't sure about this whole thing. I didn't know when they reached out to me. It's like, girl, you applied. Like, why would you? I mean, I would not want to be on The Bachelor in a million years. So I, uh, the way that I deal with that is by not applying. (laughs) So if you, and the application process is pretty intense. So if she's saying like, I didn't know when they reached out to me. I'm kind of calling her bluff. Um, I think people also, this also shows up when people say like, I never thought this process could actually work um, or, or something to those, like I did not expect to find love. And it's like, well, then why did you come here? And we kind of know that um, there's this influencer pipeline. So often it's because of that. Uh, but to me, those are the moments that kind of, show their hand a little bit. So Rachel, I like you, but I'm calling your bluff. That's not to say it's not a smart move, um, but I'm on to you. She also says something incredible. Uh, She says, she tells him, I'm confident when I'm comfortable, Um, which is like, oh, no way. You know, Uh, that's another one of my favorite phenomena on this show where people describe really standard, generic things um, as if it's, like, some unique or even quirky characteristic of just theirs. So, yeah, uh, Rachel, I I feel like that's relatable. I'm also more confident when I'm comfortable. Uh, I I think that's everyone, girl. So then Serena P involves Matt in a game of big chess. And she says another quote that I really love from this episode. She says, these things can go like that. And I got to say, Serena P's knowledge of chess is already outweighing mine because, um, you know, even with a quote like these things can go like that, she's not using the correct terminology at all. But I don't actually know the terminology. And I also don't know which things can go like what. So Serena P has got me checkmated. 
it seems like Matt is into it. He kind of cheats a little bit. They have a laugh. It's probably also a good move. Overall, a nice, genuine conversation. Mari, who I was really into this conversation, and I would have watched it for another few minutes, he was asking her about her family in Puerto Rico and how they had fared, what that was like with the hurricanes and things like that. And she was kind of getting into it. It was getting, um, you know, genuine. It was getting a little bit sentimental, and you could tell it was a serious topic. Uh, So, of course, it was a rude awakening when she gets tapped on the shoulder by Katie's vibrator. Um, And, look, I mean, we know that the producers put her up to that one. We know that the producers encouraged Katie to make her entire first night all about the vibrator. Um, That also doesn't mean it wasn't weird and rude, and I don't even think it was weird and rude in the way that the show wanted it to be. It was just um, kind of a bummer flop and not even good drama. Now we also get some great moments with Brie. I loved their conversation. Um, And... Of course, Abigail, who goes on to win the first impression rose, I am really all in for Abigail. I thought she was totally charming. I thought the way that they interacted, the way that it was easy for them to connect, and and how how lovely Matt sort of was in receiving her story about uh, you know her her hearing impairment and her sister's hearing impairment. And, and that also didn't have to be like the main course of the conversation. It felt easy to disclose. And then, you know, from there, the conversation felt very free-flowing and genuine. So I loved that. Of course, during all of this, you know, Victoria is interrupting people kind of left and right or just spewing, you know, our regular like bachelor villain shit at the women who are sitting around waiting to talk to Matt. Now, we know uh, from the preview of the season, we know because we have eyeballs in our heads uh, that she's getting the villain edit through and through. It's going to be big. Uh, She's got the queen crown. She's kind of wielding this queen persona. She interrupts Kit at one point and says excuse me, princess, but the queen uh, has arrived. So this is what we know about her. I'm going to say, I'm going to say like something stinks about Victoria. And here's what I think it is. This is just my impression. This is bachelor theory, so I'm going to hit you with a theory. My theory about Victoria is that she seems like someone who maybe has a hard time relating socially to other people, particularly other women. Um, Maybe she's more comfortable around men if she feels like she can kind of be bold and aggressive with them and men are more often into that, Um, but she probably feels like she clashes with women more often. So I think that this queen persona is more than a little bit strategic. I think that it's kind of covering up some insecurity that she probably has. Um, Like her strategy is kind of to go on the offensive and make it so big that it feels really purposeful, um, that she feels like she's the dominant one in the situation. 
just a theory. Um, and of course, it doesn't help that the producers are 1,000% egging her on. Um, but I think, yeah, I think those are the two things that are sort of at play in this Victoria cocktail. So, of course, uh, when Victoria, you know, gets two kind of conversations with him, that brings up the classic, the ever-present. We're going to see it in every first episode of every season. It's going to be some women, um, some of the contestants, you know, uh, complaining that other contestants have gotten more time. And everyone likes to assert that, you know, they would never do that, that, some people haven't gotten any time, so why does it make any sense that other people have gotten to talk to him twice? And the thing, the part of this that I have sympathy for is that often the person doing the, like, multiple borrowing of the lead is really fucking annoying. Um, I get that. But I also kind of think, like, you know, that's part of the game, sister. It's like if you've watched the show one time, you know that this happens every single first episode, and someone is going to be the one who tags him multiple times. And if it's not going to be you, that's one thing. But I think, like, talking shit about that person as if it's this, like, unexpected thing or this huge foul, um, I think... Think it's, I think it's tired at this point, and uh, I'm, I'm not buying it. So this kind of foreshadows something that happens a lot later in the season, uh, and we usually see it on group dates, particularly where there's some kind of athletic challenge or um, you know, a team game or race or something, and this is how it goes. One party, one team or person, cheats at this completely made up thing and as a result of that cheating wins and the prize is that they often get to spend more time with the lead uh the other team or the other parties then complain that this person's win was ill-gotten because they cheated that it's not legitimate and I I really love this trope. I'm endlessly frustrated by it, but also endlessly delighted by it because it's it's grown men and women complaining about it's like you really have to if you want to complain about that person's win, you really have to like face the fact that you're a grown adult complaining about the rules of this completely made up game where the lead will spend the time with whoever they want to spend the time with, right? Like we've seen it before. If, you know, if it's two teams in a team challenge and the winning team gets to spend more time with The Bachelor, uh, if the people that he wants to spend more time with are not on the winning team, they throw a curveball and the losing team then also gets to go to the cocktail party. So it really is all completely made up and hearing people kind of like complain about others cheating at this game where the only object is for the lead to spend time with the people that he wants to spend time with. Uh, it's, it's funny. I never get tired of it. And that's, so that's in the first episode, it's just that it's just uh, the rules. It's the seeing him once versus twice versus who had how much time. There are no rules to this thing, my friends. Um, and I, I do, I love watching people complain about it. I can't lie. So with that, we are ready to go into the rose ceremony. 
Uh, a nice classic rose ceremony to close out a nice classic season premiere. And the women who end up getting roses are Brie, Rachel, Sarah, Jasenia, Chelsea, Mari, Sydney, Kristen, Anna, Kayla, Serena C, Serena P, Alana, Kylie, Abigail, Marilyn, Lauren, Piper, MJ, Katie, Ileana, Kit, and fucking surprise, Victoria. We know that the producers made him choose this girl, uh, and we thank them for it. Like I said, I trust these guys. So this producer pick, they know what they're doing, and they've got a lot in store for us this season. So as much as I am not happy Victoria is on board, I'm super fucking happy that Victoria is on board. So those are the women who are coming out of the first rose ceremony. Uh, there were a couple I was sad to see go. I would have really liked to see Alicia, the ballerina, stick around. I liked Santa. Um, would have liked to see more of her. Uh, but overall, my bracket is still intact, so I'm still, um, still riding high for that. And feeling good about this season. We got another preview and it does look dramatic. I mean, I am really willing to be taken in by these trailers. I think I'm the perfect audience. Um, but I gotta say, they got me. Uh, if they want me to believe that this is the most dramatic season ever, I'm, I'm with them. Uh, and whatever amount I'm not with them, I'm gonna give them the benefit of the doubt and go along on this journey. Um, I thought Matt did great. I'm excited to see more. And I'm excited to spend more time with y'all so thank you so much for listening. I'll be back next week, next Tuesday, January 12th. So I hope you'll be back as well. My name is Julia Delois. This is Bachelor Theory.